4, verse 23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various disease, those suffering from severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I've been studying a little bit this week about what does it mean to mourn and what does the whole process of mourning look like in other cultures and around the world. And uh, as many of you know, if you've been to a funeral, we mourn in a particular way here in the U.S., uh, but it's different elsewhere in, in, in other places. Uh, I read of one, one group of people in Ethiopia who has a particular uh, uh, group who volunteer from their community and they essentially surround the family that's lost someone and they give of their time and of their energy and of their themselves and their finances and they put this money in a in sort of a collective sum and and it's dispersed to the family as they have need and the women help the 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 other women of the family who's lost someone and they help them with keeping their house and cooking and the chores around and the men of the of this group uh build the the tent that the the funeral is eventually held in uh, to, to other cultures and other religions for whom mourning is really not all that accessible or it's not, it's, it's not something that's to be uh, uh, encouraged because if you mourn someone, it essentially delays their belief, the, the delays the person's entry into the next life. And so there really is no mourning. There really is no grieving. Um, some groups of people uh, in the Orthodox tradition, uh, they, they say prayers on the third and the ninth and the fortieth days and the family members actually prepare the body uh, sometimes the men don't shave for 40 days as, as, a, as a statement of grief and in, in mourning. Grieving and mourning is very different all throughout the world. And it's this particular passage that I want to hone in on tonight. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, we're in this series called This Just In, and this is week three. Uh, we talked last week about blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we've been exploring the, the, really the nature of the Beatitudes, this, this small section of Scripture that we find in Matthew, uh, and it's also not copied, but another, another version of it is given in the book of Luke. But it's this particular section in Matthew that we want to study and that we've been diving into. And really, what is the nature of the Beatitudes? What's the nature of what Jesus is saying when he says these things to these people? He sits down on a hillside, and he begins to speak, and he begins to say some things that are really kind of cryptic. Blessed are those who mourn, for blessed, right? Blessed, happy are those who mourn. Totally juxtapose those ideas. And yet Jesus goes through this whole list of things, and it's this one that I want to hone in on tonight. The first four of the Beatitudes um, are really the places where God meets us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are places where God meets us. And then the second half of the Beatitudes moves on to sort of where we then meet others. And what we've learned so far about these, these Beatitudes is that really, uh, oftentimes when we read Scripture, it's something that we want to take and we want to apply. We want to sort of 
take something that's written here and then we want to uh, imply it to our lives so then we can live it out. Or whatever's written here, we want to sort of ascribe to or we want to move towards or we want to try to become. And there couldn't be anything further from what is in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes aren't something that we should, should strive for necessarily as much as they are an announcement this just in, an announcement about the nature of this God and about the nature of his kingdom. And it's less about what we are trying to become and more about the fact that God meets us here in these places and in these spaces. So tonight I want to ask a series of questions. I want to ask three questions about this particular verse. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. What does Jesus mean? What were the actual words that he used and what did they mean? Secondly, what's Jesus referring to? And lastly, what, why does Jesus say this? Because, again, happy are those, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It seems a little odd. So let's start with the first question. What did Jesus really mean when he said this? Uh, there's a couple of Greek words that we're going to translate here. We'll show you what they mean. The first one is... Uh, we, we've talked about, and I don't have it on the screen here, sorry. Blessed, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but the idea of blessed, the word that's used there, is this idea of favor or the favor of God rests on you. Uh, it's not necessarily about happy, like this emotion I feel, but rather it's a position that I'm in. I'm blessed because the favor of God, the, that one translator says, the I am with you of God is said when he says, blessed are you. And so it's this idea that God is near, God is with you, God is there. Blessed are you who mourn. And the word mourn is pentheo, uh, that's the root word. And the definition of it is this idea of to mourn for the dead. But really it's this, to grieve with a grief, which, is, which so takes possession of the whole being, it cannot be hidden. So it's this idea of grief and, and mourning that is so profound and so strong and so... Um, massive that it takes over you and you can't hide it right it's not something that can be suppressed it's not something that can be pushed to the side it's this grief and mourning that is so prevalent and so huge that it takes over you um, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted the word that's used for comforted i find really really interesting the, the Greek word is parakaleo, and it's a, to ask, to bed, to plead, or encourage. And then there's a, a number of different options, and, and I picked one that uh, sort of said it the best. But it says, it's this idea of to sit alongside of someone. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I have four brothers, and so we all grew up together in this very small home, and there was often conflict, right? There were two bedrooms in this house that seven people lived in with a dog. So there was lots of conflict, lots of things could, be go could go wrong. And my grandma Jeannie, bless her heart, she's 80-something, uh, uh, she always tells this story, always told this story about me and my brothers when she came over to babysit one day. So there was some incident that happened, and Jake, the middle child, you know, of course, it's the middle child, he, he does something that just gets Grandma Jeannie all bent out of shape. I mean, she is just, you know, rip-snorting mad, and she just, like, gives Jake a couple of swats on the behind, and when Grandma gets mad, everybody knows, like, this is, that's not cool to see Grandma really, really mad, and she was mad. So she spanks Jake and says, you go to your room right now! And so Jake, you know, like, head down, just broken-hearted, because uh, grandma, right, like the one, she used to call him Jacob, my sweetheart, and uh, this is the woman who just like whooped him and sent him up the stairs. So Jake goes up to the top of the stairs, and as grandma tells the story, I was maybe like six, seven, eight, youngster at the time. As grandma tells the story, 
I saw all this happen. And, uh, and when it was all over and Jake was at the top of the stairs crying, out of the corner of her eye, she saw me come around the, the dining room table and around the banister and make my way up the top of the stairs. And I got to the top of the stairs and I sat next to Jake and I put my arm around him and she could hear me saying, it's going to be okay, Jake. That's what we're talking about when Jesus uses the word comfort. When somebody in the midst of your despair, in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your mourning, comes and sits next to you. There is so much power in presence. When someone comes and sits next to you and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Bless, so this is my, my, my take on this, this small verse. Blessed are you who are overtaken by grief, so much so to the point that it cannot be hidden. For someone will sit beside you and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. These are the words Jesus used, at least according to Matthew, but um, what did he really mean? Right? We all know that we can say something, but mean something else. Right? You're grounded for the rest of your life. Of course, you don't actually mean that as a parent when you say that to your child. You're, you're saying something else, right? You're saying, I'm, 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 I'm frustrated with you. I'm upset with the decision you made, and this is your punishment. And if you ever want to see the light of day again, you shouldn't do it again, right? You're grounded for the rest of your life. That's what we say, but what do we really mean? What, this is what Jesus said, but what did he really mean? Let me, let me go at it from the, the converse or the negative. What he didn't mean was this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What he didn't mean was, this is a personal, practical, my situation, because I have lost someone, or something has happened to me, I'm mourning, and I will be comforted. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Because we all know that people die all the time in grief, people die all the time in, in, in despair, and lonely, and with no one around. People die in that place all the time, and there's no comfort for them. So that can't be what Jesus meant. Because people are dying and, and, and are in that place all the time and no one comforts them. We could go on, I could go on and on and on about situations all around the world where people are mourning and no one comforts them. So that's not what he means. What I think he does mean is, I'm going to throw out a big theological word here and I'm going to break it down for you. What I think he does mean is eschatological in nature, which is essentially a theologian's way of saying that it has to do with something that is to come. It has to do with something that is promised or something that is coming or something that we can anticipate and look forward to. So put, your, put yourself in the first century as a first hearer of this Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. I think what he's getting at is eschatological in nature in that he's pointing to something that is coming. Which kind of leads me to the second question I want to explore tonight. What is Jesus really referring to? What's he referring to? If he doesn't mean that it's my personal mourning, my personal grief, and my personal situation, but it's eschatological, it's something about in the future, it's something that's to come, what's he referring to? Because remember, we started here uh, when we talked about this, that if you're going to talk about Jesus and you're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount and you're going to talk about the Beatitudes and you're going to try to understand him and you want to have any shot at understanding him, you cannot move, remove him from the original context in which he was in. 
if we have any hope of understanding what Jesus would, was talking about in this sermon, we have to understand it from their perspective. Because in that moment, from that angle, in that perspective, we begin to see things that we don't see from ours. So what's he referring to? Uh, if, we, if we have to get into Jesus' original context, then what is that? Jesus was Jewish, okay? He was a Jewish teacher who walked across the countryside like many other Jewish people in his day and age, and he taught people. Later on in the second, third, fourth centuries, we get what we call rabbis, okay? They didn't have those then, but that's what they would have been the closest thing. So Jesus is essentially a wandering Jewish teacher, prophet, rabbi, who is speaking in this context at the Sermon on the Mount to an absolute mass of humanity. What Matthew wants us to know in this introduction, that people came from the Decapolis, from Judea, from Jerusalem, from across the Jordan, is that there is a massive crowd of people, and they're from all, all over the place. There's Jews, there's people that know the story of Israel, there's people that don't. There's people that know the hope that's promised in the Old Testament, there's people that don't. There's pagans, there's women, there's men, there's children, there's all kinds of people. This is the context in which Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And it's into this context that I think he refers to some very profound and very weighty, very important, I would say even, uh, like, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the Jews would hang on these passages. These were so important that they would just, they were an anchor for them. Have you ever seen people rock climbing and they're like hanging by a, like a fingernail? The Jews, these passages that Jesus refers to are ones that the Jewish people would have hung on to for dear life. Turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 61. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, there's some red ones in the seat pockets in front of you there. Isaiah chapter 61. The context in which Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, is highly Jewish. It's the first century. Uh, he's a rabbi, and he's speaking to people who most of them would have known the story of the Israelites, and even if they didn't, they would have been at least familiar with it. And so he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Isaiah chapter 61, this is the prophet. If I had one book in the Old Testament to understand the New Testament, it would be the book of Isaiah. Because constantly, Jesus refers to it, and the gospel writers are referring to Isaiah. And lo and behold, in chapter 61, we find something that Jesus taps into. And it's a narrative. It's a story. It's a theme. It's, a, it's a, an overarching understanding that the Jewish people had about God and what he would do and who he was. So the prophet Isaiah begins to speak, and he speaks on behalf of God in this passage in Isaiah 61. And he's talking about the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor could be synonymous with the year of the Jubilee. And it's essentially this year, this, this idea, that all the debts are canceled. All the prisoners are set free. The blind are, are healed. The lame can walk. Essentially, God comes back and he puts to right everything that's gone wrong. It's the year of the Jubilee. And so Isaiah begins to speak and he says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God. To what? To what? To comfort all who mourn 
and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. You ever read a passage in the Old Testament that talked about weeping and, gnash, uh, and they would put ashes on the, ashes in sackcloth? Ashes are a sign of mourning and of grieving. Isaiah, the prophet, says, this is what God says to you, people of Israel and to the nations, that I will give you, I will provide uh, comfort for those who mourn, and I will give to those who grieve a crown instead of ashes. I will give you oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of despair. Turn to the right to Jeremiah chapter 31. It's just one book to the right, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah 31, one of the most quoted evangelical passages in all of the Bible is in Isaiah 29, but we're not going to talk about that. Isaiah chapter, or excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 31. If Isaiah is this prophet who speaks on behalf of God and he says, this is what's coming, the year of the Lord's favor, the year of the jubilee, when the captives will be set free, when the prisoners will be set free, when the, the lame will walk and the blind will see, this is what's coming. Jeremiah taps into the same stream. He taps into the same story. Verse 9 says, and they will come, he's speaking of Israel, they will come weeping and they will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them, God speaking, he says, I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it to distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them. He will watch over his flock like a shepherd for the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of them of those stronger than they. They will come and they will shout for joy on the heights of Zion and they will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, the oil, the young of the flocks and the herds, they will be like a well-watered garden and they will sorrow no more. Then maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. And I will turn their what? mourning into gladness. I will, what? Comfort them and give joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty. What does Jesus mean? What's he referring to when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What he's tapping into is a story, a narrative, a theme, a, a, a stream that those in the crowd would have at least had a, if they weren't Jewish, they would at least have an understanding of this God. And what he's doing is saying, this is, this is a crazy term, it's called metalepsis, all right? Metalepsis. Now, stick with me on this one. Metalepsis is an idea. Uh, I'll give you an example of it. I'm going to catch the worm tomorrow, Okay. I just used metalepsis, which is a figure of speech, all right? I'm going to catch the worm tomorrow. Does anyone know what I'm referring to? The early bird gets the worm, right? So when I say, I'm going to catch the worm, what did I say? I'm going to catch the worm tomorrow. You guys all know that I'm talking about this phrase that the early bird gets the worm, and you interpret and you understand that what I'm saying is that I'm the bird, and I'm going to wake up early, and I'm going to get the worm. I'm going to have success, right? That's metalepsis. I just said something, and remotely I referred to something that everybody understands, that everybody knows in our context and culture. So I'm taking this idea, and I'm just barely referring to it in order to make a subversive point, or, or, or a point that comes out of that 
So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, that's exactly what he's doing. The gospel writer Mark, when Jesus is being, uh, a whole bunch of people are gathered around, and they don't like what he's doing, and they're going to stone him, and they, they bring him out to the edge of a cliff. Do you know this story? And the, the gospel writer, I, this is a bizarre way to end the story, but he says this, and Jesus passed through them. Metalepsis. What story is Mark tapping into? Passed through them. Passed over them. That's the Exodus, gang. Right? When God showed up and brought the people of Israel out of the out of out of the hand out of under the hand of, of Pharaoh and he passed them through the waters. So Mark is just barely remotely referring to this story, but everybody in the audience would have gone, Oh, he he thinks Jesus is like Moses. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, this is exactly what he's doing. He's tapping into a story, a stream, a narrative that the Jews believed about the world and about the condition of our hearts and about the condition of this world. And the fact is this, that there is reason to weep and mourn. There is reason to grieve because the beautiful world that God has made has been sabotaged and it has been ruined by an enemy and the enemy is Satan and it's you and it's me. But that's not the end of the story. Death does not have the final say. What he's doing is saying, blessed are you who mourn. Because gang, there is so many reasons to mourn. There are girls who are being sold into slavery and, 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 and sex slaves at ages that would make you sick on the other side of the world. And, and, and the people that are doing it are their family members, their moms and their dads. There are kids who are going, they're going to die before this service is over because they don't have clean water. There are kids who are going to die before this service is over because there is not enough food. It's, well, there is enough food, but they don't have it. There are, there are people, good people, young people who are dying of diseases that they should have never gotten. There are all kinds of reasons to weep and to mourn and to grieve. Because what has happened is real. And what Jesus says is, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. He's tapping into a stream of thought that says that this world is not as it should be. That your hearts and my hearts and this world have been affected by something, and it is all-inclusive. And so if you are in tune with that, if you're in touch with that, if, if you understand that, and it brings a tear to your eye, then weep and cry and grieve, because it is broken. But you will be comforted. And check it out. I mean, Jesus, in the first century... What he's saying, he's saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's tapping into Isaiah 61, Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 41, all kinds of passages. He's tapping into this stream of thought. He's saying, you will be comforted. By who? Him. He's saying something, and he's tapping into some beautiful idea about God and the nature of the world and what God has promised to do. And he's standing right in front of them. And he's pointing himself towards 
the act that will redeem and restore and recreate that which has been broken and that which has been sundered. So what's Jesus referring to? This Old Testament understanding that God, the God of creation, has promised something, that he would return at some point, that this world that's broken would be put to right. Now, he has not abandoned it. He has not left it. He's not walked away from it. No, he's gotten himself involved in it. Why does Jesus need to say this? I would say that there's probably a couple of different people in this audience. I'm guessing that there may have been some of those in the audience who for them, because you know, you can say one thing and depending on who's in the audience, it's interpreted all kinds of different ways, depending on wh where you're, you're coming from. I'm guessing that for some of these people in the original audience, this was earth shattering. This was groundbreaking news that had just come in. Blessed are those who mourn, who are in tune with the fact that the world is not the way it should be because they will be comforted, that there is a comforter coming, that there is the, the, the parakaleo. Does anybody recognize that word paraclete? That's the one that's Holy Spirit in the New Testament. There is someone and something that's coming and God is about to do something. For them, this is fresh, brand new news and it's good news because they look around them and they see people and hearts that are broken and folks who are in despair and at the, at the end of their rope and they hear this message, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are in tune with how bad it is here because they will be comforted. I'm guessing that for them, this is groundbreaking, earth-shattering news that changes everything. And I'm wondering if there isn't anybody in this audience tonight for whom this is new news. That the grand story of the Bible is the one that you have seen tonight and you are watching before your very eyes right now. That there is a good and loving God who made everything. And it was beautiful and it was good. And that something, someone had chosen to go against God and convinced others to do so as well, that, that this way that God had made was not the best way and he convinced others to go with him. And because of that, sin has entered the world and, and has wrecked everything. And yet, this God stepped in and got his hands dirty and began at the cross the restoration and the recreation, the redemption of that which was his, always has been, always will be. That was good news for people in that crowd. Fresh, groundbreaking news, and I'm wondering if it isn't for you tonight. I'm guessing there may have been a couple other different people in the audience. For those, it may have been fresh news, new news. I'm wondering if there weren't some in the audience who needed to be reminded who got so stuck and so weighed down in the midst of this, where things are broken and people hurt each other and things don't go the way they should be and people die and, and the beautiful world that God made for us has been ruined in so many ways. I'm wondering, I'm guessing that there may have been some in the audience who needed to be reminded, blessed are those who mourn and who are in tune with how bad it is here because you will be comforted because something is coming.
Remember, Jesus is saying this, and he hasn't died and, and, and been resurrected yet. He's saying something is coming, and we look at it from this side, and we say, For some, we need to be reminded that there is a time and a place and a, and a reason to weep and to mourn because we live on this side of the cross, but we live on this side of redemption where God has made everything new and his rule and his reign and his desires and dreams for creation are real in the fullest. We live in between these two spaces, in between these two trees, if you will. And there are moments and times when it is just so obvious and so painful that this is not the way it should be. When kids are sold into slavery and kids who can't eat and, and kids who grow up without dads and you know the atrocities that happen in this world. When those things weigh you down, it's easy to forget that Jesus said, blessed the favor of the I am with you of God is with you who mourn because you will be comforted because something has happened. And there are moments when these fractions of light, these, these, these pinpoints of light where the light of God shines into the world through the people and the places in which he's redeemed and we see these bits of glory. I think Jesus calls them the kingdom of heaven where, where the rule and reign of God, where the hopes and dreams of God happen in this world, even in the midst of this crazy world. Those are the places where the kingdom exists. And Jesus says, let me remind you of the story. Let me put you in touch with the story. Some it was fresh news, some it needed to be reminded and for some, I'm guessing they needed to be totally shaken, totally uh, blasted with this news because religion has an, a, an ability to insulate where those who are on, the, the God, on God's side somehow begin to create layers and layers upon layers upon layers to where the reality of the world we live in is so far removed from where we are as saved and Christian or God's people that we aren't even in tune or in touch with how bad it is. And, and worse, off, worse than that, we're not even in tune with what our role is in that. And Jesus stands there and says, Blessed are those who mourn, who weep and cry and grieve over the fact that this has gone asunder, this has gone awry and something has has." has infiltrated and sabotaged it. Blessed are you who are in tune with that because you will be comforted. Some of you have no idea because you're so far removed from it in your religiosity that you don't even, like there's no pulse there. And I think it's good for us, though hard and difficult for us to understand and to go to those places where we see the reality of what is, was broken and what is broken and what is in despair and lonely. So I guess Jesus had a message to a group of people on a hillside and it came in the form of blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And I'm wondering where that sits with you. pray with me. I'm going to invite the band to come up. They're going to lead us in one more song. God, uh, 
you make real to us? And uh, would you make known to us by your spirit? Would you help us understand who you are? Would you help us understand what your son, this traveling prophet in the hill country of the ancient Near East said so long ago, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. God, I pray that if there are those here tonight who this is brand new news, God, that you would make yourself so present and real to them. God, for those of us who find ourselves in the midst of despair and brokenness and loneliness and in, in the worst that this world has to offer, that the enemy has to offer. God, would you help us grieve and mourn but to do so with hope. That death is not the end. That the worst that the enemy has to offer in death has been overcome. And that the story Continues that the God who created, who promised to come back, has come back and has now invited us into this good news of redemption, this ongoing restoration until we anticipate one day when you will fully rule and reign. God, that's what we want to be a part of. That's what we want to be about as a church. Would you make that real to each of us tonight? entered our world and took what the enemy would use to steal and kill and destroy and has begun making something that is beautiful out of that which was broken and that which has been burned and he says anyone who will come come anyone because the king is on his throne and he's inviting you to come and eat at his table. That's it. Trust what he has done. And there is life. Trust not, and we're on our own. This is the kind of church that we want to be. This is the kind of people that we want to be. So if you're here tonight and uh, you need this, then join us. Say yes to Christ. 
say yes to what he's done, trust what he's done for us on our behalf, and start walking. Because the awesome thing is that though something has been done at the cross, the, in, the, the beauty of the gospel, the, the, um, the profound, unbelievable, is God says, help me make this work for justice and for righteousness and for goodness and for truth. Work for that here, now, because it matters.